Hi, everyone. This is just a little heads up that this is a live show recorded this year at the 2019 Awesome Con. So if you happen to hear a little bit of audience noise, just consider it a little extra love for science, okay? It 
is basically what that mugshot is. So the, the guy RNA is taking it around to all the, the DNA it finds, and when it finds a match, it tells this enzyme cut here. And that enzyme cuts, chops up the virus, and the virus is no more. So some very clever scientists figured out a way to take that snapshot and basically insert any snapshot that you want of any piece of DNA you want to cut. So you just put in the snapshot that you want, it goes around, finds that piece of DNA you want to cut, and that enzyme will cut where you want it to cut. Um, then you can repair that cut in two ways. Either you can just glue the ends back together, or you can put in another piece of DNA to replace what was there before. And it's really easy just to glue the ends back together, but it doesn't go so well because usually the ends get chewed up a little bit. And so that's what they use to create mutations in genes they want to disable. And if you want to fix a gene, then you need to try and insert a, a healthy piece of DNA to replace what you had done before. And that's a little bit harder. So how is this different from other? I mean, I, I don't know if the audience has heard a lot about this. Like, I actually, I used to be a scientist, so I got better. Um, but, um, you know, we used to use, when I was working at the lab, we used things like knockouts. And we use a lot of, like, viral gene transfer to create genetic knockouts. How is this different? So, this is different because it's much easier, it's much cheaper, it's much more precise. You can cut at exactly the DNA base that you want to cut at. With those other technologies, you can put things in and hope they went to the right place. And with a lot of uh, the viral vectors, like you would use a virus to get your DNA into a cell, and then that virus would just stick that piece of DNA wherever it felt like sticking it. And sometimes it would land in the middle of another gene. So that is not so good. Um, so this is it's cleaner. So scientists have been using this in the lab, and then they start out using it in things like you know, bacteria, but now they're up to mice, and I read something about uh, CRISPR uh, cephalopods, and I, I for one, welcome our octopoid overlords. Can you tell me what can CRISPR do? What, what have we done with it so far? CRISPR, um, there's a lot of people who think that CRISPR can do anything. CRISPR has, has, has not done everything, but they have used it to um, take out 65 potential uh, viruses um, out of pigs um, that tend to make pigs safer for human organ transplants. They've used it to repaint the wings on butterflies. Um, they have created that don't have horns. Um, gosh, there's also a lot of work being done with plants. Yeah, and plants too. Um, making um, uh, crops that are drought resistant or salt tolerant or resistant to certain uh, infections, which I guess Dan is trying to do. Um, so, yeah, there's a uh, you name it, and CRISPR has done a lot of it. And um, there, there are applications of CRISPR that can be used for gene therapy for people who are already born and have diseases. Um, and uh, there is a baby in England and several other adults that are walking around that have CRISPR modified. Stem cells in them uh, because they needed uh, bone marrow transplants for various reasons, um, mainly for fighting cancer. And I give one example. Uh, sure. Okay. So, um, 
into these cells. It was a miracle. It was the first use of, gen- of, the, of uh, genetic engineering of these uh, uh, what are called adult stem cells that actually worked. And these children were cured because now they were able to make this enzyme. This was the old technology. And the old technology, as Tina said, you didn't know where this inserted gene was going to go. And the you want the inserted gene to be expressed at the highest level you could possibly get. So you include these sequences with it called enhancers. And enhancers enhance gene expression all over the place. Wherever this inserts in, every gene from, what, miles around it is going to be passed. I mean, every gene just goes through the roof. And so although these kids were cured, they all came down with leukemia because genes were being expressed at a high level that should never be expressed at a high level. So the problem was there was no precision. And now they could, what they can do for, for kids who have this disease is they can insert the new gene in, in a very precise place where they know that, that there aren't any other genes around where high-level expression is going to lead to from cancer. So it's really a miracle for these kids, this, this precision. So, so the key to CRISPR is the idea that you can cut DNA exactly where you want to cut it. But as we'll be discussing, the problem is, well, are there any other places where the DNA is going to be cut? Is it really so precise that only one place in the genome gets cut? And this is what everybody worries about. Is what's called off-site other places that will get cut that are supposed to. And when they get repaired, you're introducing new mutations and you don't know where you're introducing them. And we're going to get, we're going to get on that one. <laughs> yeah, but actually, that could be much of my personal favorite CRISPR story was where they CRISPR dogs uh, to make huge, beefy muscles. And there are pictures of these little beagle puppies with these, like, they're jacked puppies. <laughs> and if you look them up, you'll find pictures of jacked puppies. <laughs> like, and when I point out that they, were, they started out with two of them, and the girl was way buffer than the boy. Yeah, like, these puppies, these puppies were like, do you eat a lift? And I was so inspired. <laughs> but now, of course, um, what I really wanted to get to pretty early on was, you know, we've been doing this, for example, for stem cell transfers for adults. But so far, people have been pretty, you know, cautious about human embryos until they went and nursed a baby. In fact, there were two babies. Um, so I was wondering, Tina, could you take us through what, what did we hear happened and what do we know happened? Because <laughs> those are different things. Yeah. So in November, from this Chinese scientist um, that two baby girls had been born who he had used CRISPR on when they were embryos and that um, he had made them immune to getting infected with HIV. So what what he supposedly did was to use CRISPR to cut a gene called CCR5. Now, this is a gene that there are people who are walking around who have mutations in this gene, and they are immune to getting infected with a major strain of HIV. Um, And so his impetus was that there are some couples where um, one member of the couple uh, has HIV and the other one doesn't, and they want to have biological children, so he would create these embryos that had mutations in this gene, but then could not be infected by HIV. Now, it should be noted that there are other ways to prevent the transfer of HIV from parents to children that may not know. Yes, absolutely. And pretty much every single scientist went on record saying this was not medically necessary. But at any rate, um, 
Start your 
years. Sometimes it's actually okay to have that 
does try to say about the disease, I think the cases where you can use this for disease are going to be so limited. I, I'm actually also skeptical about whether we could ever ethically justify using it for enhancement, but I think the bar would be lower in some ways because, you know, well, how many of you would want to make your child have traits like if you do Gattaca, you know, stronger, taller, smarter, if you could, safely? Um, how many people would want to make their kids fluoresce if you could? So they're like, people in the audience who are being honest about this. I hope this
so many. When you're talking about something like cystic fibrosis, for example, you have to change a certain percentage of the lung cells. Um, so you have to give them a good copy of the gene that they're missing. And right now, with the best delivery systems we have, we cannot get genes into enough cells. And so this is going to be a problem for CRISPR as well, is it's the delivery. How do you, when they did the CRISPR babies, they were starting with a single cell. And every cell derived from that cell, which means the entire person, would then have that mutation in it, supposedly, if they started with the first cell. But when you're dealing with an adult already, or even a child, that's a seven-year number of cells, Getting the gene into the right number is, is going to be very difficult, which is why the point of the bubble disease works, because you can literally take out the stem cells, put it in, and derive the entire immune system from just the cells that got the CRISPR. And that works. But changing other things in an already developed organism, uh, much more difficult. Diabetes, of course, and things like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease, is that the cells that are important uh, have died and aren't there to, to do CRISPR on, even if you could. So I think we're over time. We have one more question. It's the person with the horns and the red cape. Could you please tell me your question? So to uh, say that question back to you, what I'm hearing is, should CRISPR become widely available? What do you say to your, to your kids who are like, why didn't you get rid of my reputation? Or why didn't you, you know, make me tall? And why didn't you give me a better nose? <laughs> or serious things like reputation, cystic fibrosis, etc. So it's, it's complicated. So if you look at that, by the way, is the answer to every ethical problem that's pushed away the trade secret. Um, there are alternatives to editing, right? So for any of these diseases, it could have been passed along where it's less than 100%. You can use pre-implantation genetic diagnosis and IVF, and you can pick embryos that don't have the disease, which then, if you're arguing with your child later on, um, it gets weird because they may not exist because you picked another child. And, um, you know, this is going with the bubble universe. Existence problems here. Um, but, uh, you know, and there's also a hard time understanding the full set of things that make you you and how that relates to a good life. So, you know, we know people who have lived who have had a lot of challenges who seem to have important contributions in their life, like a Stephen Hawking kind of thing, versus people who seem to have all the things together and seem miserable, right? So, we, this is the yeah, I think it's, it's hard to know what makes a good life for a child. So, well, and, and also, there's probably going to be a lot fewer children around to ask those questions because, in order to do that or even to do it by pre implantation genetic diagnosis, you have to do IVF. So, you cannot have a child the natural way. So, if you have eyebrows, eyebrows are good. <laughs> so, uh, I think that, um, yeah, you, you might not, not have to worry about it if you, if you have kids the natural way, because you can just say, hey, kid, roll the dice. It should be a lot easier. People seem to like it. <laughs> thank you so much for all your excellent questions, and thank you for being here at 9 p.m. on Saturday. You guys are champs. Thank you so much for our wonderful panel. And for God's sake, we're questions. Thank you. Science for the People is listener-supported. You can find us on Patreon, where you can support us with monthly donations in any amount. 
Your support keeps us afloat and able to keep making great new episodes, and we thank you for it. The show is produced by Rochelle Saunders and edited by Ryan Bromsgrove. We get help with special projects from K.O. Myers. Our theme song was written and recorded by Fractal Pattern, and its title is Binary Consequence. The show is hosted by Bethany Brookshire, Anika Hazra, Marion Kilgour, and me, Rochelle Saunders. 